0: CHAPTER Fourteen: IMAGINING THE WORLD'S MOST LOVING DADDY Imagine yourself for a moment, as we walk along in our quest after the high places of faith, an orphan. What would it be like never to have known an earthly father? What an emptiness in life that would be, one that some individuals know all too well. Imagine what Jesus might say to you in introducing you to his father. "'Come, my brother, my sister,' he says. "'I want you to meet my daddy. He is the most wonderful father imaginable. I have told him about you. He wants to adopt you as his very own child. He desires that you become part of our family. You can hardly believe what you have just heard.' What could be more wonderful, to have a father who wants you to be his very own? Never had you dreamed such good fortune would come to you. Eagerly you take the hand of Jesus and follow him as he leads you. On the way you daydream about what this most wonderful father could be like. Jesus called him wonderful, so that must mean he is full of love. How could he be anything but kind and generous and patient, attentive and interested in your thoughts, forgiving of your mistakes and shortcomings? If he is anything like Jesus, he must be all those things. Jesus said he was like his father, and you have known Jesus long enough to know what a kind and loving friend he is. Surely this wonderful father must take care of his children protecting them from harm, providing for their needs, comforting them in distress. He must be warm and tender and compassionate, the kind of father upon whose lap no child would hesitate to climb, there to snuggle against his bosom within the wrap of his large and kind-hearted arms. He must be a smiling father, WHO LAVISHES HIS YOUNG ONE WITH KISSES AND HUGS AS HE WHISPERS, I LOVE YOU, MY CHILD. YOU ARE DEAR AND PRECIOUS TO ME. I WILL KEEP MY ARMS AROUND YOU FOREVER, AND AS LONG AS YOU WILL LET ME. YOU MAY CHOOSE TO GET DOWN, BUT I WILL NEVER PUSH YOU OFF MY LAP, NOR SEND YOU AWAY. IT IS MY DELIGHT TO LOVE YOU, AND TO KNOW THAT YOU LOVE ME. He might be stern, you think to yourself. Surely a perfect father would not put up with misbehavior. He might even have to discipline you from time to time. But you would not mind that so much because you know he would do so because he loves you and wants you to grow better. But some of you, my readers, may find it unfortunate that the term father— occupies such a pivotal role in God's nature. In many minds, the word conjures up images contradictory to these pleasant daydreams. Rather than what we have just imagined, today's father is often the butt of sitcom jokes, and has a hard time getting his own children to obey. He is either a watered-down non-entity or the scapegoat for the rest of his family's problems and personality hang-ups. In the ancient patriarchal societies to which Jesus spoke, however, the father was the vital and central figure. A Roman father had power of life or death over his children. A good father could be extraordinarily good. A bad father could be extraordinarily bad. Western culture is no longer patriarchal. Therefore, when we say Father, we are not thinking of the same image Jesus was. Surely, modernism says, there must be a more appropriate word and image we could use. Indeed, to meet this need, and to be certain to offend no feminist ears, some new translations have emasculated the divine He altogether, replacing it with a more suitable personness of God. Father, however, was the term Jesus used. God was not His mother, not His divine person, but His Father. To escape the asphyxiating fogs of valley misperceptions, our thinking must widen, not to throw away the earthly forms of the Word, but rather to cast aside the shackles and constraints they impose upon our capacity to see God as He truly is. How much larger might true and perfect fatherhood be? As we thus widen our image of fatherhood beyond its earthly constraints, a startling truth results. The masculine and feminine forms of earthly, in-God's imageness, become drawn up into a unifying whole. Human motherhood and fatherhood both combine to make up this divine picture. Women who take offense at the masculinity said to be inherent in God's fatherhood may now find themselves joined by men taking offense at femininity entering the divine personality. Make no mistake, this joint masculinity and femininity cannot be fully envisioned according to any earthly images of either. Within the Godhead, they are taken to higher levels, glorified, fulfilled, given their perfect expression, as God intended all the creation to reflect distinctive aspects of his nature." We are being given a place to live within the divine familyness of the very Godhead. Why do we begin thus with the imagination? Are we not bound to come to know God the Father on the basis of what Scripture tells us? Certainly. The imagination is merely a doorway. God has placed the instinct toward fatherhood deep within every human breast. Everything in us, by nature, points toward our Father, including the imagination. When one attempts to imagine God, therefore, free from preconceptions to the contrary, the compass of God-created instinct cannot help but point in a generally true direction. These are not fruitless and vain imaginings, but rather the God-implanted instinct after true fatherhood, expressing itself through the imagination. I happen to believe one of the reasons he created imagination in the first place was for this very purpose. The imagination wants to bring good and kind and loving images to mind. God put those visions of himself within us so that we would know what his fatherhood is like.